0: A merry-go-round is a picture of the way many look at the history of this world. We are on a cosmic carousel. People get on and off the horses, but the carousel keeps on turning. There are always more people in line to take our places, our jobs, our positions on the carousel. We ride the horses of life from nowhere to nowhere. All the while we are riding, the merry music keeps playing to mask the vanity of life. My friends, this is not a biblical view of of life. We are not on a merry-go-round. We are on a highway leading to a glorious destination. The highway of human history is planned by God who is in total control. We know the end of the story. History is not aimless or futile. It is planned and purposeful. God's plan for this world led inexorably to the cross. In the fullness of time, Scripture says, God sent his Son into this world to die on a cross. The cross was not a tragic accident, but an intentional mission. However, the cross was not the end game for God. God was and is restoring his kingdom on this earth. Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The crown, not the cross, is the end game for God. And the end comes when the king is crowned. God gives the prophet Zechariah a road map for the highway in these eight night visions. Perhaps he began at sunset, and now in Zechariah chapter 6, dawn is just about to break. The final vision and the crowning of Joshua are the culmination of all eight night visions. It is at the return of Christ to set up his earthly kingdom that the king is crowned. First we see in verses 1 through 8 that the king is crowned with sovereignty The visions began with horses in chapter 1 and end with horses in chapter 6. In vision 1, the horses investigate the earth, and in vision 8, the horses judge the earth. The Hebrew expression is similar in both visions. It means to patrol the earth. But in the first vision, the horses find the earth at peace, and in the eighth vision, the horses go out to battle. The point is the same. God's sovereignty is pictured by the horses. God is in control. Our God reigns. Life is no merry-go-round of futility. Let's look at the power of his sovereignty in verses 1 through 3 of Zechariah 6. Now I lifted up my eyes again, and behold... Four chariots were coming forth from between the two mountains, and the mountains were bronze mountains. With the first chariot were red horses, with the second chariot black horses, with the third chariot white horses, and with the fourth chariot dappled or ashen horses. Zechariah sees two mountains of brass. A valley lies between the two mountains and in the valley he sees four chariots rushing down upon him. The two mountains are usually identified as the Mount of Olives and Mount Zion, where Jerusalem is located. In between these two mountains runs the Kidron Valley. There are many scholars who believe that the Kidron Valley is the valley known as the Valley of Jehoshaphat, because God defeated the Ammonites here in the days of King Jehoshaphat. The valley of Jehoshaphat is the location in scripture for the great and final destruction of the nations gathered against Jerusalem when Christ returns, Joel 3, 2, and 12. One scholar suggests that the final valley of Jehoshaphat is a supernatural valley created by Christ when he splits the Mount of Olives in two at his return. Zechariah predicts the creation of this valley in Zechariah chapter 14, verses 3 and 4, where we read, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. The chariots, in Zechariah's vision, come in judgment upon the nations of the earth who are against Jesus Christ. The nations will be utterly defeated by the angelic forces represented by these horses and chariots. You will notice that the emphasis is upon the horses in verses 2 and 3 and not the chariots. Horses were symbols of military might in the ancient world, much like missiles are in the modern world. The unofficial motto of the United States Post Office is chiseled into the granite above the doors to the New York City Post Office on 8th Avenue. The words come from an ancient description of the Persian messengers who traveled by horseback over the 1,700 miles of Royal Road from Persia to Turkey. They averaged 243 miles a day on horseback. Herodotus, the ancient historian, memorialized these men and their horses with the words, It is said, So many are the men and horses that stand along the road, each horse and a man at the interval of a day's journey. And these are stayed neither by snow, nor rain, nor heat, nor darkness, from accomplishing their appointed course with all speed. The U.S. Post Office may have difficulty fulfilling its motto today, but God will not be swayed from accomplishing his appointed course in world history. God is on his throne, and no one and nothing can stand in his way. No nation will ever be powerful enough to defeat God. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation will also make good use of the horse imagery in depicting God's judgment upon the world in terms of different colored horses in Revelation 6. The lamb, standing as if slain by the throne of heaven, opens the seals of a visionary book in Revelation 6. The first four seals lead to four horses— that devastate the world. The horses are white, red, black, and ashen in color. These four horses are released by the Lamb to judge this world. The Lamb opens the fifth seal in Revelation 6, which reveals that God is avenging the blood of the martyrs. The sixth seal leads to global terror, as the universe comes apart in destruction. John summarizes the impotence of all human powers with these words in Revelation 6, verses 15 to 17. Then the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the commanders, and the rich, and the strong, and every slave and free man, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains, and they said to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? I think there is a correlation between the colors of the horses in both Zechariah and Revelation and the events predicted in Revelation. Red horses picture war and bloodshed. Black horses picture famine and death. White horses picture victory and triumph. Ashen or dappled horses picture the plagues. The horses and their chariots symbolize the power of God's sovereignty. He is in control. God will judge the nations of this world one day. Our problem is that we easily forget the power of his sovereignty because we don't see the performance of his sovereignty, verses 4 through 8. Then I spoke and said to the angel who was speaking to me, What are these, my Lord? The angel replied to me, These are the four spirits of heaven going forth after standing before the Lord of all the earth with one of which the black horses are going forth to the north country, and the white ones go forth after them, while the dappled ones go forth to the south country. When the strong ones went out, they were eager to go to patrol the earth. And he said, Go patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he cried out to me and spoke to me, saying, See, those who are going to the land of the north— have appeased my wrath in the land of the north. Sometimes we struggle with the sovereignty of God, don't we? Because we see so much pain and evil in this world right now. How can God be sovereign and let oppression and injustice rule this world? Well, Zechariah struggled with those same questions. So he asks the angel to explain the vision. The angel tells Zechariah that the horses are the four spirits of heaven. They are agents of God. These four agents of God are sent out to fulfill God's commands. The black horse goes to the north and the dappled horse to the south. The white horse is said to go out after the black horse, according to the King James and the New American Standard, but the NIV translates the Hebrew as toward the west. The NIV is probably the better translation of the Hebrew in this case. The black horse goes north, the white horse goes west, the dappled horse goes south, implying that the red horse goes east. Some have suggested that verse 7 tells us about the red horse as the symbol of bloodshed who goes throughout the whole world. However, it's better to translate the 7th verse as referring to all the horses, since the expression strong ones is plural, not singular. The result is that we have the four agents of God going out into the four corners or the four directions of the earth, If the red horse goes east, even though that detail is not explicit, they are going out through all the earth. The other issue we should explain is in verse 8, where the English Standard Version reads that the agents who went north have set my spirit at rest in the north country. And they use a capital S for spirit. The NIV uses spirit with a capital S as well, while the King James Version uses spirit with a small s. I think it is probably best to take it as spirit with a small s here to, pre- to refer to the spirit of anger of God, the, the anger of God, not the Holy Spirit himself. It's the appeasing or giving rest to the spirit of God's wrath, God's anger, that is in view here. The Holy Spirit does not need angelic help to defeat the enemy. So I like the way the New American Standard puts it. They have appeased my wrath in the land of the North. What's the point of describing all these details for the reader? These chariots with their horses represent the control God has over the whole world. These are God's storm troopers ready to take on the whole world in its rebellion. They represent the means by which God accomplishes his purpose in this world. The land of the north becomes the symbol of all the enemies of God's people gathered to the north of Israel. The land of the north is a theme that runs throughout the prophetic literature because the enemies of Israel usually came from the north. It most often referred to the regions of modern-day Iraq and Iran in the biblical record. That was the land of the north in Zechariah's day. Not unlike today, of course, where Iraq and Iran are Israel's primary enemies in the Middle East. God declares war on his enemies in this world, and one day he will defeat those enemies forever. We struggle with God's sovereignty because we want that day to come now. We want justice to reign supreme now. Yet God's timing is not our timing. W. E. Sangster, a famous preacher from a past generation, once said, God is still on the throne. And our hard task is this, to have patience with the patience of God. Friends, that's tough, isn't it? But we must learn to be patient with the patience of God. The four angelic horses are pawing the ground, waiting to sweep the evil trash from this world. There is coming a day when God will unleash his horses of doom to destroy this rebellious world and create a new world of justice and righteousness. And then the king will be crowned with sovereignty. And secondly, the king will be crowned with majesty, verses 9 through 15. The word of the Lord also came to me, saying, Take an offering from the exiles, from Heldai to Bijah and Jediah. And you go to the same day and enter the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, where they have arrived from Babylon. Take silver and gold, make an ornate crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. The eight-night visions are over now, Zechariah is told to perform a symbolic act which will teach the people about the future crowning of Messiah. A group of people arrive from Babylon and Zechariah is to take their gold and make a crown to put on the head of the high priest, Joshua. This crowning teaches us about the majesty of the priest. Joshua is the high priest He is not the heir to the throne of David like Zerubbabel. Israel made a strong distinction between the priesthood and the king. The king was not allowed to function as a priest and priests were not allowed to function as kings. The crown in this coronation is not the crown or turban worn by the priest. The Hebrew word indicates a royal crown, the crown of a king. In fact, the word for crown is plural here. Many royal crowns were made of several circles of gold. They often had multiple diadems. These multiple diadems were put on the head of the high priest Joshua. Joshua is the symbol of the priest king who would later come to reign over the nation of Israel and over this world. So Joshua is the symbol of Messiah, who will one day be crowned with many crowns as both priest and king. It's fitting that the name Jesus, the Greek name, means the Lord saves, and the Hebrew name Joshua also means the Lord saves. The coronation of this priest is the coronation of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The majesty of the priest is the majesty of the Savior. Zechariah goes on to tell us about the majesty of the man in verses 12 to 13. Then say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold a man whose name is Branch." For he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus, he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be between the two offices. I like the way the ESV translates this verse. Behold the man whose name is the branch. The man in this prophecy is not Joshua. Joshua is just a symbol of a greater man yet to come, the man Christ Jesus. Joshua cannot be the one in view here because the pronouns are all third-person pronouns, not second-person pronouns. Zechariah is speaking to Joshua, but he speaks about another person, a third person, whose name is the branch. The Messiah will be called the branch because he will branch out from his humble origins in a Bethlehem stall to be king over the world, according to Isaiah 53.2. He will build the temple and he will sit enthroned as king. Verse 13 makes clear that there will be peace between the two offices of king and priest. The Messiah will be both king and priest over the nation. Behold the man, behold the man who is king and priest. This coronation demonstrates the majesty of the man Christ Jesus before a world of sinners who can only be saved by his grace. So, we see the majesty of the priest, we see the majesty of the man, and now we see the majesty of the memorial, verses 14 and 15. Now the crown will become a reminder in the temple of the Lord to Helem, to Bijah, Jediah, and Han, the son of Zephaniah. Those who are far off will come and build the temple of the Lord. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and it will take place if you completely obey the Lord your God. The crown is to be kept as a memorial that God keeps his promises, God keeps his word. The people who come from far away in these verses must be the Gentile nations of this world. When the nations of this world join in building the temple of God in Jerusalem by contributing their wealth of gold and silver, then the Israelites will know that God has restored his people. God said through the prophet Haggai, Haggai 2.7, I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all the nations, and I will fill this house, this temple, with glory, says the Lord of hosts. That's why I say that whatever is taking place in Israel today is not the fulfillment of these prophecies. God will one day bring about such a total world transformation that the nations of this world will come to worship Jesus Christ at the temple in Jerusalem when he returns. This world is not going to be destroyed with nuclear weapons. For God has a plan to restore his kingdom on this earth. He is in control And the coronation of his king will take place in his kingdom. Then all the world will see the majesty of the Messiah. Behold the man. I think of the occasion, perhaps you are as well, when Jesus stood before Pilate in the judgment hall in Jerusalem. Pontius Pilate had dressed him up in a purple robe, pressed a crown of thorns on his head as a caricature of a king, making fun of him. Pilate turns to the rabid crowd and he shouts, Behold the man! And the crowd shouts back, Crucify him! Crucify him! Little did Pilate realize that he spoke the prophetic truth. Behold the man, now wearing a crown of thorns as the sacrifice for our sins, now performing his priestly function to deal with sin by becoming our sacrifice for sin. Yet there is coming a day when that crown of thorns will be a crown of crowns with the world worshiping at the feet of the king of kings, Listen to the words of John in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 19. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron." and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Many years ago, there was a popular television series called The Twilight Zone. I'm reminded of an episode in 1962 called the Little People. Two astronauts fly their spaceship to another planet, which appears to be totally uninhabited. The spaceship breaks down on the planet, so they are marooned on this uninhabited planet. While they are repairing the ship, one of the astronauts discovers it's not uninhabited, He discovers a village of little people the size of ants who are terrified by his huge body and his great powers. These little people become his slaves. They build a statue in his honor. They know that if they do not do what he wants, he will stomp on their village, killing hundreds of them. He's the king of his tiny little kingdom. His fellow astronaut has been busy repairing the spaceship and doesn't know about the little people. Eventually, he tells the first astronaut that the spaceship is fixed and they must leave immediately if they expect to have enough fuel to return to Earth. The first astronaut refuses because he likes his little kingdom. He likes being king. After his friend, leaves in the spaceship. He flies away. The astronaut is busy ordering the little people around and killing anyone who gets in his way. Suddenly, a huge shadow falls across him, and he looks up to see a figure beside whom he looks like an ant. It is a giant astronaut from another spaceship that has landed on the planet and he screams at him to go away. I'm the God! Don't you understand? The astronaut shouts. I'm the God! The giant spaceman notices him and picks up the little astronaut, accidentally crushing him to death. The giant spaceman casually throws his body aside as all the little people rejoice. Many think that they are gods today. These self-proclaimed gods laugh at Christians and bully people into submission. They are kings of their little kingdoms, politicians filled with delusions of greatness. These world leaders bask in the applause of their people until the next power crushes them and history casts them aside. The Adolf Hitlers and the Saddam Husseins of this world think they are in control until the day their lives end, hiding out in their fortified bunkers and their underground holes. My friends, God is in control. He is working his plan. Someday the bullies of this world will look up to see the shadow of the Almighty pass over them and they will face the consuming fire of God's wrath and they will bow before Christ as the King of Kings. The evangelist Billy Graham wrote a book years ago entitled Approaching Hoofbeats." It was all about the coming of God's apocalyptic horses to judge this world for its sin and rebellion. Can you hear them now? Can you hear the approaching hoofbeats? Are you ready to meet the king?"